0: All right, so today um, on on this series on toxic or shame and guilt, basically it's on self-sabotage. And it's part of, you know, why do people keep sabotaging themselves over and over again? You know, last week we talked about, you know, what is shame? What is shame? What's the difference between shame, you know, and guilt? And there's different levels. And to me, it's just words. And again, being in neurolinguistics, we always talk about words. Um, but generally, I always use the saying, like I said, last year, guilt is when you make a mistake, shame is when you start thinking you are a mistake, there's a big difference, right? And you internalize it, right? And so when that happens, then many other things begin to happen. And, you know, they always talk about, I, as you all know, a lot of you know, you know, my clinical specialties, addictions, so i are always talking about all kinds of things about addiction. And for years, they kept looking at, you know, certain drugs or things are, are gateway drugs to worse drugs. Or, you know, if you start drinking beer or wine and and you have alcoholic tendencies, you'll end up getting into like the hard liquor and things like that, you know, and they looked at all this other stuff. And actually, I like what some of the people are starting to think the true gateway to an addiction is, is trauma, shame, and trauma and shame. If you have that, you're much more likely to go into an addiction, right? And it is the cause of dis-ease. If untreated, I think this is where people um, have all kinds of health issues, the dis-ease, whether it's cancer or diabetes or other things. It's your body, you know, um, somatizing or making real your thoughts, you know? I don't deserve this, right? Uh, This is eating me up on the inside. Could that lead to cancer, where your body starts literally eating itself up from the inside? So, you know, when we look at that, and I like the term, you know, toxic shame or toxic guilt. To me, I I, I use the two interchangeably, right? Because again, they're just words. And when you look at something like shame or guilt, also you need to realize, and when it comes to self-sabotage, it's relative, if you will. You know, what one person considers trauma, another person considers They can't understand it. It's also one of the reasons that it disconnects people with it from the general population. Because if you say something that makes you feel bad or you feel shameful about and you're with three people, other people, and they all say, nah, that's not bad at all. And then what do you do? You'll never, you, you won't say it again. So you won't share it. You won't do the things that you need to do. So, and then it becomes, that's when it becomes toxic. It builds to an unhealthy level. And again, as opposed to untoxic guilt, right, just regular guilt, it's you did something wrong, you made a mistake, you could figure it out, you could correct your behavior, you could make a change, and you could move on, you know, but that's the difference. It doesn't build up to toxic levels. You know, one of the reasons we end up getting um, very sick a lot of times in our body. What? I'm sorry, I, I had a glitch there. Hope everybody's fine. Uh, but toxicity builds up in our body. Right. And, uh, that's what liver failure does. You turn yellow and things. You get, you get renal failure, the fluids build up, you get edema real bad, all these other things. That's just normally your body can process this stuff out. Right. Certain things, of course, become toxic at very small levels, right? Like, uh, arsenic. And I mean, a lot of the things, you know, become, uh, my birds yelling in the background. Uh, The the so it's kind of fun. It's kind of interesting, right? So again, regular shame, regular guilt is, eh, you know, uh, is actually kind of healthy keeps us in check keeps us from being crazy. But when you get into the like the next level where it becomes more toxic, at least this is my interpretation of it, right? Is it's, it's, it's a feeling you can't really put words on. It's a somatic experience in your body, usually down in your gut. Because kind of talked last week, when people are, are in shame, when they feel shame, they yeah. have they have the same physiology, and you will have the same physiology as as when you're going through trauma. You withdraw in to protect yourself. It becomes a life and death situation, right? And so, and there's it, and and there could be no words for it. You know, again, it's a physical sen- sensation, and it can be triggered by a lot of things, uh, and it. It's some, and when you're experiencing it until you become really aware of it and start working with it, how do you put words to something that has no words? Right. And that's, you know, how do you describe the undescribable? You know, and a big trauma is like that. People have been through, you know, horrific events. If you've lived through an active hurricane, you've, you've experienced combat, you've been in a bad car wreck, you experienced interpersonal crime. Uh, or you saw it up close, so you you kind of live through it with the person, so to speak. And that's the first thing people really talk about is is how do you describe it? And then people say I can't put words to it. They say stuff like that. So they and then as therapists, as change agents, when people try to help, they put their words on it that the other person may just agree with because there's no words now. The word, but the words may not really fit. So. You know, and every once in a while, you'll see on a, 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 a TV cop show, and they'll get it right because the detectives or the cops will be talking to somebody who's been through something bad, and they can't describe it, and they try to help walk them through it, right? Um, I, I know I, I was talking to someone that, uh, uh, that helps people get ready for trial, and that's they prep you so you can describe basically the undescribable, right? So that's what happens, but again, it's all relative, right? And, and again, what you might feel that was sh- that impacted you horribly, and you and, and you buried and you become toxic, uh, other people, yeah, it's no big deal. And of course, it's always easier to minimize other people's pain, right? It's always easier to minimize other people's pain, you know. Um, and then you know, and 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 as we said last time, it starts manifesting itself in other ways. Sometimes it manifests itself is, uh, when you internalize, it leads to self-hatred, self-lo- self-loathing, and, and low self-worth. But it might have a twist where suddenly you will point out your flaws in every person you meet. You'll accuse them of what, of what, what's going on with you. Right. Uh, as Shakespeare said, me think doth do, do protest too much, right? You know, you, you're a horrible human being. You did this, this, and this, you know? Um, and so you start pointing it out in other people, right? And, and you may be drawn to shame-based organizations, like really, and I'll just say it, really fundamentalist, fire and brimstone kind of preaching, right? Because you already hate yourself, so you're showing up to somebody else that says you were born in original sin, so therefore... You know that 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 so it can it pulls you into it, right? But uh, like I say, I we see it a lot with people that point out flaws in others, and again, how many times have we seen um, politicians and preachers, the peas, you know, they're they're morally superior and they point this out, and then we get the expose that you know, like the 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 the, the one fundamentalist preacher that would route ra- and raise millions of dollars, run around the country, you know, God hates faggots, God hates gay people, they should all burn in hell and die, da da, da 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 And he did all this all over. And then it came out, you know, he was, uh, and also like drug addicts, the morally weak, he was really pious. And of course he was doing crystal meth and uh, picking up young male hookers, right? So he was really quick to point it out in other people, right? And, um, and we just see this over and over again, you know? I mean, and the politicians do it all the time. I won't mention recent ones, let's go back a little ways. Because my favorite is like when uh, uh, Bill Clinton was being, when, when he had his interpersonal problem and he had an affair with a, I stress, 24 year old young woman, right? Um, how terrible it was and all these, all these politicians were, you're horrible, you shouldn't be sitting in the Oval Office, went through this path. But what was interesting, the three main guys that pushed it um, all basically got outed for doing even worse things. You know, Newt Gingrich, the morally superior Newt Gingrich, you know, cheated on every one of his wives with his next wife and his second wife. Well, the Bill Clinton stuff was going on, served divorce papers on his wife as she was coming out of chemotherapy. And he didn't even show up. He sent his assistant. And he wouldn't talk to her unless there was a lawyer in a room after that point, right? And yet he was raking Bill Clinton over the gold. The other one, of course, was uh, Henry Hyde. He was the Speaker of the House and all that. Of course, he ends up serving 15 years for raping the young men that were his wrestlers. He was a wrestling coach, right? So it's easy to point it out in others, especially if you have that shame or guilt in yourself. You know, and a lot of people uh, uh, that, that either don't have it or work through it, eh, you know, it's kind of interesting. And again, it's that because you're, you're presenting a mirror. So when you think about this, it begins, if you have this toxic stuff, as I would call it, uh, you can't allow yourself to feel. You get to the point you can't allow yourself to feel, right? And if you do, you can't express it, right? And this can come from a lot of areas, but a lot of this, I think, and this is my presupposition, it it comes from one of two places, A, from trauma at at any time in your life, right? But it especially comes from when you're young, especially before you have words, before you were able to process words, because obviously you're processing feelings when you're a a kid. and so certain things kind of get into us, and we don't know how to. It, it becomes very damaging, if you will. You know, like, uh, you know, you're the kid may hear things like children are to be seen and not heard. What does that what What does that internalize into? Don't speak. You know, we don't we don't want to hear from you. Don't speak, right? Um, People may say, and I always say parents or authority figures may say, um, you shouldn't feel that way, right? You shouldn't feel that way. Well, you feel what you feel, but if you're being told you shouldn't feel that way, you begin to not trust your feelings, right? Um, I know people that have studied uh, narcissists, people that are drawn to narcissists, they may have some inner shame and guilt over other stuff um, because they are, they're trained to not, when they first meet these, a person that's narcissistic, they can't trust their feelings that this person's crazy, or this person's going to destroy me. Right. So, you know, um, you don't deserve that, right? You don't deserve that. So that gets internalized. And then especially it can compound. Uh, so it, you hear that when you're a little kid you know, you don't deserve that, you don't deserve that, right? Good things, a little kid wants something, and I want this, no, you don't deserve it, you you know, uh, so you start feeling that, then what happens later on in life, if you ever experienced a trauma, car wreck, you were attacked, you go into a bad situation, at the same time, the flip kicks in, this is what I deserve, right? And again, going back like the narcissistic personality, if you end up with one of those, you start thinking this is the kind of person I deserve. Right? And then, and you know, just think about things you hear people say, and, and maybe we've said it, you know, uh, your kid does something strange. And what are you, stupid? Yeah, you know, um, uh, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are, right? One of my favorites, people say, "Who? Do, what are you, a smart aleck? You think you're smart? Well, I got news for you. And then they like, you know, uh, you know, teachers do it all the time. It's just, and again, and parents, authority figures, right? Which leads to the feelings and the thoughts and the processes going on subconsciously that's always running. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not worthy. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm worthless, right? And then it just builds and builds and builds. And so this leads and it goes internal. And again, when it starts happening, you withdraw. And then what, and you see it with people that will shun any kind of attention, right? Because you don't want people looking at you, right? Uh, and maybe it comes from your child, again, your childhood that, you know, seen and not heard, Uh Don't draw attention to yourself whatever you do don't draw attention to yourself right and then you know and usually that'll start to flip where you seek it dress you seek it desperately and then if you get it you run away right and 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 so so these it leads to all kinds of physiological issues dis-ease discomfort constantly you know all the, all the health issues that we can get, but it, it's very common in addictions because you're, you're anesthetizing the feelings that you don't know how to process. I think this is especially true for people that become addicts and alcoholics younger in life, right? Because they, they, they weren't allowed to process the feelings, this and this and this, and then they find something that helps, alcohol, drugs, sex, Whatever the addiction is, but especially alcohol and drugs, it actually physiologically changes your brain, physiologically changes your brain, and you feel better, right? But it didn't really take away the feelings. So when that wears off, then you have guilt for the shit you did while you were drunk or high, or the things you did to get drunk or high, and it keeps the cycle. But again, if you don't feel worthy and it's constantly going, it, it develops that cycle, right? Which again, where this goes into, if we're going to tag it into, um, self-sabotage of any kind, well, then once you start to get whatever it is you are really working toward, as you get close to it, you have to blow it up, because A, I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. B, uh, you know, I don't really want, want that, you know, or you get almost there. That's where you see people sabotage. They get almost there and then decide to blow it up, thinking, I didn't really want that anyway, because they heard that you know as a little kid they want this you really don't want that yes i do don't well, no you don't you really don't want that yes i do right so it leads to all that self-loathing and things like that and so it starts that cycle that we've got to work through so you'll blow it up you'll you'll self-sabotage uh and again if you don't feel worthy you you know i we could say all the right things go go where you're celebrated not where you're tolerated but if you don't feel worthy, you're not go- you're not going to go there, and so you'll sabotage it. I see it in addictions where people start to get better, they start to get into recovery and become clean and sober, and they don't know how to process the feelings. And no, very unless they're around people that can help them process the feelings, they end up going back to the addiction because it, it's the only thing they had to help them cope, right? And again, that could be alcohol, drugs. Food is common. People, you know, they'll self-sabotage their diet. You know, I can't really look attractive. I can't, you know, do this, Uh, you know, uh, things like that. So it becomes the belief sets that runs in our heads. And so where do these things come from? Again, it it happens in two ways. Number one is when you're a young child, before you really had verbal skills uh, and you're starting to get verbal skills, very basic verbal skills, So, you had some words, but not enough. And then, but you had feelings. And then people didn't help you, or they weren't capable. That's the way I like to look at it. They weren't capable of helping you process it out. That's why uh, I've heard a guy give a talk on that shame is a multi generational event. Your parents had shame, they're going to pass shame down to you, right? And then they're going to pass the shame down to you. Uh, I did a a series on, you know, why the rich royalty and the rich and famous, their children have a tendency to be more successful than the general population, right? It's because they grew up un, just expecting certain things, right? The best, good things, things like that, right? But if you come from a different side and not always we see some shit crazy people come from wealth and royalty, but it's it's a different mindset, right? But it's multi-generational. If your parents had it, you're gonna have it. Don't stand out, don't, don't, don't draw attention to us, right? And don't talk about this outside the family. You know, we don't air our dirty laundry, so you push it inside, push it inside. And again, it leads to that. I'm not good enough, I'm stupid, I'm ignorant, and you beat yourself up even for things you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. But you'll beat yourself up for not knowing. I should have known that. How the hell should you have known it? If you don't know, you don't know. You know, and that's where you'll see two two different responses for people. They make a mistake because they they didn't know something. Let's say two people do the same thing in an office in a in, in in whatever situation, military, whatever. And then you know they get they they it gets pointed out. You made a mistake, right? This is what you did, and this is what you know. You forgot to do this. One person goes, Oh, okay. All right. I didn't know. Okay. I won't do it next time. And the other person starts beating themselves up and hating themselves. And Oh my God, I should have known it. Well, how, how, how should you have known that? Right. Um, and it and, and it can, it, it can manifest itself in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, uh, one story I can tell, and I'm working through all this myself. God knows I got it right. Is I was in in basic training, right, and in the United States Army, and so we're doing the thing. You know, we're 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 in holding. It's called right before you actually get to boot camp, and basically that's when you get your haircut, you get your uniforms. I mean, there's not a lot going on. It's you know, and everybody's a going to be a you know love it and everything. So I had some. This one was interesting to me because um, I'd been in ROTC in high school, right? So it's not like the army. I, I, I won't act like that, but I knew how to march. I knew how to handle, I knew, you know, what, how to clean a weapon, how to do certain things. I knew military protocol because that's what you learn in ROTC. That's, you, know, you just learn. You salute this, you don't salute that, right? This and that and the other thing. You don't call a sergeant, sir. You know, I mean, that's a big faux pas. TV kind of pushes that, you know, where a sergeant's up there yelling at his thing. If you go, sir, don't no. sometimes in boot camp the Marines will, but generally it's no sergeant, yes, sergeant. I mean, it's very basic, right? Uh, and you never salute a sergeant, right? And things like that. Uh so, so I knew all that. I didn't think anything of it. So I'm just what and right before I went to boot camp, uh my ROTC teacher was a command sergeant major, which, you know, after I really got in, I found out was a really high rank, right? So him and I, I, I told him I was going in. And so we started talking and we spent a lot of time before I went, right? And he gave me some, some good advice. Keep my mouth shut, my eyes open. Number one, keep your mouth shut and your eyes open. Don't voluntary, don't volu- don't voluntarily give any information unless they ask for it because I was, because he told me he was a drill sergeant for three years, so just shut up, and just do what you got to do, right, don't, don't volunteer for anything, especially in boot camp at the beginning, right, Uh, in some way, and if you guys, those of you that know me know, keeping my mouth shut is probably, is not easy for me, I'm always telling jokes, he goes, from the beginning, don't do that, don't do that, right, there'll be a time, but just kind of roll with it, right, because this Sergeant Major knew me for three years in ROTC, right? And I was, and, and by the way, here's here's how shame and guilt work, and then I'll go back and close the story. Well, first let me do this. So I'm in boot camp, and all this is going on, right? And first day we really get to boot camp. So you know we're like on this bus and we're traveling over, and everybody's laughing and joking, and because they've been really nice to us for the first week while they're getting you ready for boot camp, right? And you get to Bucha, and he said, "This is what'll happen. It'll change when you get to your actual training." So we get to the the bus pulls up, and this uh, really big black sergeant walks in, right? And so he's and they do that purposely. He's like six four. He's got that drill sergeant hat. He's a huge guy. He comes on the bus, and he's in power. Everybody's sitting there, and they're still laughing and joking. And I'm sitting there, and I'm quiet. I'm like, "Okay, now it's time to be quiet." You know, and he starts very nice, you know, gentlemen, I'm glad you're here. Da, 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 da. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, some guys, yeah, man, we're going to be the best, you know, the the best platoon you ever had. And I remember he walks up to the guy, he's going be the best. Oh. He's, yeah, you know, and he says that guy, and they still do this, I don't care what they say, grabs him by the scruff of his neck, throws him out of the door. <laughs> and start screaming at everybody get off my bus you're on my bus you don't deserve to do that da, 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 da. you know and everybody's screaming it was funny as stuff right and then everybody lines up and all so for the first day or so all this is going on and I'm very quiet right and we we, we start marching Especially the next day and I knew how to march because that's what we learned you know like you know left face right face to the rear march, to, you know, a double time. I knew all that. So, you know, in my platoon of 36 guys, I was the only guy that knew how to march, you know? And and it, it, we'd been in it a, for a few days. And of course, when you first get there, they take the biggest guy and they make him your squad leader and your platoon guy, because that's where it works, right? And so uh, I got yelled at for, why didn't you tell me you knew how to march? Things like that. And I'm like, Sergeant, you didn't you know, you didn't ask. And, you know, and then the other guy says, yeah, he's the only one that never called us sir and all this other stuff, right? And so anyway, that night after they made me platoon guide, I'm standing there and we're in the bay and every, and a couple guys are going, God damn it, I should have known this. And I'm like, did you have ROTC in high school? Do you learn how to march? No, then why would you know it? You know, I didn't know how to march, but well, you knew how I should know how. That's when it starts that way right but um manifesting i'm beating myself up because i don't know something we see it all the time we as i said last week we judge our insides by their outsides and we also judge our we're learning something by someone that knows already how to do it right and and then people will beat themselves up right and so like And when you get different information, it makes you look at things differently, right? And then you can process differently, can open up and begin to remove some negative feelings. And kind of to close that little military story, again, my senior year in high school, I was in ROTC. The the guy running the ROTC for that high school uh, made me the sergeant major of the unit. And I was mad. I wanted to be the colonel, right? And... Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't really, I didn't say anything. I'm like, whatever. and But I was kind of mad, right? And then after going through and being in the military, I remember on one of my leaves, I went back to him and talked to him. I go, you know, thank you because he gave me the biggest compliment he could give me because a Sergeant Major is the guy that actually runs a military unit, right? they're They're the ones that handle all the logistics at that level. You know, the officers do what they do, but it's that. So you know, but I didn't know that at the time, right, and so that's what begins to happen, we begin to think we should know things we don't know, and so that's the biggest, is when you're young, you, you're, you're getting information, um, and, and you withdraw, you know, your parents are authority figures, caregivers, whatever you want to say, teachers, you know, that seen, not heard, who do you think you are, you don't deserve that, Da, 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 da. sometimes people are just mean let's face it you're worthless you you know you're a burden on my life my life would be better without you I mean when you hear that you begin to internalize it and the other time I think it can begin to happen is as much it can happen while you're in the womb so you have no especially I don't know exactly what trimester it would happen but I think quite young you're you're being and, it, and you're forming and you have feelings, you have sensations. Babies move, right? After, I forget what it is, 28 days, they start moving. And so there's this stuff going on, right? And they can feel the emotions of the mother. Right? That We know that now, right? I mean, it's passed through. And all, all the neurochemicals that are released when stuff's going on. And as much as we'd like to think, wh- when um, your parents heard the news they were going to have a baby, that it was like a Hallmark movie and everybody had, you know, cake and champagne. Uh, maybe it, it didn't quite process that way at the beginning. Now, I'm not saying your parents end up not loving you and doing that, but it's like, huh, why now? Right? Or how did this happen? Da 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 da, right? Because budget's tight, you know you're living in a one bedroom apart walk up or whatever and now you're going to have a baby oh my god what are we get? so you know maybe the kid you, you begin to process some of those feelings even before you're born right and so next week we're going to talk about i think things we can do to help some of this but for part of it is realizing you know where it comes from and it's endemic it's endemic you know it's it's cross cultural uh And again, people beat themselves up uh, and carry it inside. So again, next week, we're gonna talk about um, some techniques and tips for overcoming shame and guilt and uh, how to move beyond it, how to move on the dis-ease that shame and guilt cause, whether it's addiction or uh, uh, physical issues, things like that. So that's what we'll talk about next week.